AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm here with Mark K. from Connecticut. And he is going to share his story with us here on the podcast. It's been a while since we've done that. And so I'm looking forward to getting to know him through his recovery story. And we'll just let a conversation flow from there. Mark, how you doing? Welcome to AA Beyond Belief. Yes, I'm doing well, John. Thank you so much. And as I mentioned, um, I feel like I know you. I've listened to so many (laughs) of your podcasts. And they have been so helpful to me. I'm truly grateful to you for all the effort you put into this stuff. And um, really grateful to be here. I never thought I could be a guest on this. I I feel feel honored. I really do. So (laughs) good good to be. It's really good to be here. Well, thank you for saying that. I, uh, I, I, whenever I hear somebody um, tell me that they listen to the podcast, they like the podcast, it's always great to hear that. And, and that when it helps them and I, I, sometimes I just don't know. I, it's like um, how to, how to react because I'm, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity. I enjoy doing this and it just blows me away that something that I'm doing can reach so many people. And uh, so I'm glad and I'm glad it's helped you and meant something to you. So thank you for saying that. It, it absolutely has an, a little, a little down, uh, down the line on my story. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of um, how, how the podcast has helped me. So my name is Mark, and uh, yeah, I'm located in uh, the New Haven, New Haven, Connecticut, not far from Yale University. So I lived there my whole life, and um, you know, I'm 60 years old. Uh, my recovery date is uh, May 16th, 2013. So I'm about. Uh, about seven and a half years uh, sober now. And, um, you know, like most people say, it's been a great, um, not easy and not always perfect, but uh, just a, a wonderful new life, uh, not ha- being controlled by alcohol, that's for sure. There's nothing, uh, I'll tell you, John, there's nothing overly exciting about my drinking story. Um, it's pretty typical. You know, I, there's nothing, no dramatics as far as um, I never went to jail. I never lost a job. I never killed anyone driving drunk, but um, all those things could have happened. You know, I was just very lucky and um, a, a typical start, you know, a really shy kid and um, very insecure around people my own age, you know, just didn't feel right. And um, we hear that a lot. And, and I'm no different. You know, there was some alcohol along with those things. There was some alcoholism in my both sides of my family. Not a lot, but there was some. But mostly there was a lot of drinking, some, you know, controlled drinking, I guess. But it gave me an illusion uh, of alcohol being um, something I really wanted to start participating in. You know, it, it looked romantic to me. My uncles, my relatives who I admired the most, a lot of them drank and not alcoholically, but they drank and it, it looked good to me, you know, and I, I don't blame them for my uh, addiction. I don't blame anyone, but um, alcohol, I, I couldn't wait to get started, you know, and when I took my first drink at 15 and I got really sick, and felt horrible from it. Um, I couldn't wait to drink again, you know, and uh, I just couldn't wait. It just, it alleviated the, those inhibitions. And I got, it, it started on a love, a love hate affair that um, I couldn't divorce myself from for a really long time. I drank for about 38 years. So, um, you know, when I was 15, I, I started uh, the summer of my 15th year. Um, it, it all kind of changed for me. And I started smoking cigarettes 
I started smoking marijuana. I started drinking. I was diagnosed with uh, type one diabetes all within a six month period of time. And, and, and all four of those things changed my life forever. You know, of the four, the marijuana was the easiest for me to deal with. I, I sort of outgrew it. It certainly uh, didn't uh, bring any good in my life, but it, it wasn't a major problem for me. But I'll tell you, those cigarettes were, I, I became uh, seriously addicted to nicotine. I smoked uh, for 18 years, uh, very addicted to them. And um, I was finally able to give them up, you know, and you you, you find a way. uh, I couldn't do it uh, completely on my own. I I had to find something and I I wanted to give them up, you know. And one day I was, um, you know, we used to smoke in the house back then. And uh, my son was about four years old and uh, one of my two sons, and he was sitting on my lap, you know, I'm smoking a cigarette. It sounds horrible to say this now. I was actually smoking with sitting on my lap and watching Nickelodeon, you know, and a breeze came in and blew the smoke in his face, you know, and uh, he started coughing, his little body's coughing. And, you know, he turned around and looked at me in a very angry voice. And he said, you know, when are you going to quit those cigarettes? And, and you know, I, I didn't quit that day or that week, but that was the kick in the butt that I needed, you know, and I, I was able to give them up shortly after that. And I haven't smoked in 27 years, but I'll tell you, they, they are a part of my story with those cigarettes. So, but the alcohol, obviously the diabetes, I couldn't do anything about that. And, uh, and the alcohol, I, I, I just couldn't give it up no matter how much harm it brought me. Um, I just couldn't do it. And, um, you know, always driving drunk. God, I, I you know, when I think back, I, I, I get the shakes when I think about all the drunk driving I did. You know, I, sh- I should have been arrested so many times. I, I never had a DUI, not, not because I was smarter than anyone else. I, w- I was just so lucky uh, with my drinking. You know, years later, you know, seeing a therapist, you know, she would uh, check my blood, uh, check my liver functions, you know, and she would have a disgusted look when <laughs> when I asked her the results and she told me they were fine, you know, I, not that she wanted me to be ill, but I, I think she was looking for something, you know, I needed a kick in the ass to get off of this booze mm. and uh, I, I just couldn't find it. I, and, uh, you know, I really struggled with that. Interesting. So. so it wasn't like affecting you physically, really? It wasn't. Okay. Which is kind of amazing because, especially with the diabetes. I know. I thought it would be it definitely impact the diabetes. It, it should have. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm on insulin. You know, I'm a type 1. I'm on insulin that whole time. And the fact that I never overloaded a syringe and drunkenness is, is truly amazing. So very fortunate. I was very fortunate. Yeah, really fortunate with that. And, you know, I, I was just a functional. I guess, I guess I could describe myself as a functional alcohol. You know, um, even at, even towards the end, after drinking all, all that drinking, and I was a scotch drinker, I was in pretty good shape. You know, I was playing hockey and a gym guy, and the diabetes taught me to be a healthy person with other things, not the alcohol, but with uh, food and things like that. So um, I, I was just lucky. But yeah, even at the end, I was in reasonably good shape and stuff. But um, I, I, I couldn't get sober um until I found community. And that, that was the difference for me. You know, the fellowship, we hear it on AA Beyond Belief all the time. And and that's how it was for me. It, it was the fellowship and finding community and sobriety is, is really what did it. So I was just going to tell a little story that's really important to me. You know, I, so I started all these things when I was 15. And, you know, I was never um, much of a student in school. I didn't do too well. I, I had a lot of trouble concentrating. I just, no matter how hard I tried, my mind would wander, you know, and the drinking didn't help this, but this was in place before I started drinking. I just just wasn't a student, couldn't concentrate. So um, not much chance of me going to college or any of that stuff. So I, I was a senior in high school, well-established as an alcoholic at that point. I went into, it was the springtime of my senior year. So I, I, I went into one of my, so I think it was a social studies class. I went into class one morning and um, there's this strange fella sitting at the teacher's desk. 
and the teacher's standing next to him and they're chit-chatting. And, you know, I'm curious as to what this is all about. And the bell rings and the teacher introduces this fellow as a uh, representative of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, wow. Interesting. You know, and this was, you know, John, this was 42 years ago. And, and I, re- I remember this guy, you know, I remember how he was dressed. I remember how he looked. I remember um, some of the things he spoke about. But what I remember most about this guy is that he was not a great speaker. You oh, know, really? He was not, he was not riveting. He was not <laughs> captivating. He was not uh, a great orator. I could probably describe him uh, by memory as maybe stoic would be the right word. But that guy held my attention like no teacher ever did. I, I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized listening to him. And there was such a connection. I remember looking at my watch, wishing... Um, wishing the 50 minutes could continue a little longer so I could listen to him a little longer, you know? And after I heard that fella speak to me that day, I continued to drink uh, alcoholically for 34 more years, you know? And I understand uh, how a person not familiar with recovery would probably think that that guy failed me. You know, I, I was in an alcoholic condition. Here he comes representing a sober society. I listened to him and then I grew up and drank for all those years. But, you know, when I finally got sober at 53, a funny thing happened. I started thinking about that guy a lot. He kept popping into my head. It was like he remained in the back of my brain in remission somewhere all those years, you know? And I, I came to realize that that he had helped me, you know, he just, it just took me a long time to realize it, but, but he had, he put something in me and um, I, you know, I, I get emotional talking about it. You know, I, I came to, I don't credit him with my sobriety, but I credit him with, with teaching me about fellowship and teaching me the importance of one alcoholic helping another alcoholic, you know, one person in recovery, helping another person in recovery or, you know, or anything in life, really one person helping another person in anything in life, not just alcoholism. And he taught me that. And I didn't know it for a long time, but uh, I came to realize it. And I'm, I'm really grateful to that guy. I'm grateful that, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't stay anonymous. Some people stay anonymous for the right reasons, but he exposed himself and he took a chance and uh, you know, I'm grateful that he did, you know, because it helped me. So. Um, yeah, he played a role in my recovery. Yeah, it's cool. It's like he planted the seed, they say. You know, I had people like that too growing up. I had a an aunt who I loved. Actually, she really wasn't a, an aunt related by blood, but I just caught she was a good friend of my grandmother's. I called her an aunt and uh, I loved her very much. She was a great person and she was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I never, you know, as growing up as a kid, I never thought too much about it, but I, um, I always had a favorable impression of AA because of her, because I loved her so much. And so, you know, uh, so that she was just one of a few sources that I had growing up that where I had a knowledge of AA in my head that I knew it was a place to go, you know, if I had a drinking problem and I had a favorable impression of it at the time. Yeah, that makes so much sense because here you have a person you admire and like, and you're connecting them with sobriety. Yeah, of course, it makes total sense. You know, so. So I finally did get sober and, you know, I met a, met a wonderful woman and, you know, we got married at 24 and um, she stayed with me through it all. You know, I have, I have a couple sons and thankfully they've never had any, so far, never had any addiction issues. I, you know, uh, that could change very quickly. I, I realized, but uh, yeah, I don't know if it's because they saw me or what, but um, so far they, they've been okay. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, I, I wasn't a bad father. Um, you know, I, I, I was always the guy coaching the baseball team and stuff like that, but um but I was always drinking. There was always, there always had to be alcohol in me, no matter what I did. And, 
yeah, it, it was, um, you know, don't regret the past, but, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. I'm, I'm sure glad I'm sober today. I, I truly, I truly enjoy sobriety. Yeah. Not always easy, but I, I, I sure do love being sober. Right so what now. happened? Was there any like dramatic incident that happened? It, it, it was a buildup. And, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I, I was a, a compulsive drunk driver, never meaning to be one, but I was. Yeah, I was too. I was too. Big time. Your first meeting, what was that like? Well, so, yeah, so I just felt like my, you know, between the diabetes and my wife was losing her patience and my kids were losing their patience, I hadn't lost contact. My sons didn't stop speaking to me, but I could see all these things were going to occur. You know, my luck was running low. So, I, you know, I started seeing therapists and it never worked out. So I finally found a therapist that I, that I connected with and like, you know, what I liked about her, she was open-minded to anything, you know. But she did mention that she thought I belonged in Alcoholics Anonymous, but she didn't shove it down my throat. And, and we tried every, she, she was open-minded. We tried everything. I tried a form of, I guess it would be the Sinclair method. Uh, I didn't do naltrexone, which I believe is a daily dose, but she gave me injections of uh, something called Vivitrol, which I believe is the same. It's an opiate blocker. So I tried that and um, it just, for me, it just didn't work. I, I, I realized that it helps a lot of people. I'm respectful of that, but it, it didn't work for me. I, I just, I just drank through it, you know? So, you know, what ultimately happened? I, I, I don't know if I could say, I, I don't know, but one day I, I, I just, I tried rehab, you know, I thought I was ready. And I tried rehab in 2009 and I learned a lot in rehab, but I drank about a month later. I, I just wasn't ready, but I started going to meetings, you know, and even though I was drinking, I, I was going to meetings. And then finally, um, in, um, it was, uh, 2000, 2013. I, uh, I had just done a detox. I was drinking at work. Things were just out of control. I woke, I woke my wife up one night and I said, uh, you know, I have to go to back to rehab. I, I have to lock myself up somewhere for 30 days and to get a jump start on this. I just can't break the breakthrough. And uh, so I did. I, I was ready. I went to rehab, tried to do my best. I wasn't the perfect. I did some some wrongs at rehab, but uh, I tried my best. And uh, when I got out, I checked myself into a sober house for four months just to kind of transition back to a somewhat normal life, you know. And uh, I would go home eat dinner home and I just basically sleeping at the sober house, but it, it kind of gave me a transition and uh, I guess it worked. And that was it. Started going to a lot of meetings, got heavily involved in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. You know, chairing meetings and speaking quite a bit. And um, most importantly, made friends, sober friends, you know, that was what AA did for me. It did a lot of things for me, but it's the most important thing AA has done is it's given me a network of sober people who I can do stuff with. Yeah, I can relate to that. Me, me too. What are the meetings like in Connecticut? I should say I've been to your meeting. I've heard you speak of your meeting, uh, the, the Sunday morning meeting that you attend. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you go to that? And did I miss that? I've been to that meeting. I actually called in on a live broadcast about a month or two ago. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, the, the people told me that there was somebody at that meeting and um, I'm sorry that I missed <laughs> yeah, that. that. Was... I, that's the one meeting I just didn't go to that much. When it first started, like for the first year or two, maybe I went quite a bit, but then after a while I didn't. But yeah, yeah. It, it was the funniest thing. I, you know, I was, uh, I was getting a service dog to help me with the diabetes a medical research. And I was getting the dog, uh, the facility was in Concordia, Kansas. And it just so happened to work out. I was in Kansas City on a Saturday night. And I said to my wife, we only have a half a day driving left. So I make a long story short, I, I made it to the meeting. <laughs> it was really fun. It was fun to be there. It was my, to be honest, it was my first uh, 
agnostic atheist uh, type that? meeting. And yeah, and I, I truly loved it. They welcomed me there. Yeah, that's a nice meeting. Did you have a problem finding it? It's like back in that cafeteria. Yeah, I, well, I was in downtown Kansas City, so I thought I could walk it from the oh. hotel. <laughs> and I asked the, the girl at the the woman at the desk, and she said, "No, it's it's several miles." Right. So, yeah, I parked in I parked in the parking garage, and then had to, I, if I remember right, I had to walk in the building quite a bit to get there. But I, I found it. Yeah, I got got myself there. Yeah, that is kind of a nice meeting, and uh, it's it's really interesting. So we've got like uh, so we've got two different groups. And then we did have, we have like six meetings a week now and they're in different locations. So that one's in Kansas. And then we also have meetings in Missouri. And um, it's kind of funny because that, that group, different people, you know, go to different meetings and it's almost like that group at the K at the med center that you went to, that should almost spawn off and become its own group because it's like, it's in a different state. There are people that go to that meeting that don't go to the other meetings but the meeting is done fantastic. It's got a great location and um, it's a nice meeting. But now we're meeting online because of the COVID thing. So that was your first agnostic meeting. It was. And the only other ones I've been on is because of Zoom. I've gone on that meeting a couple of times through Zoom. Yeah, they, ha- they have, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not uh, an atheist, but uh, I certainly am a free thinker. And um, I, I found uh, great help doing your, your, your meetings and your podcast. And I'm really grateful for it. I forget what I was just going to say. Oh, they do have, I looked it up. They do have, what, what's the problem? Is it agnostic meeting? I don't even know. They, secular meetings. You know, they used to, for a long time, they called them agnostic meetings and they call them, sec, now they call them secular. Secular. I looked it up and there is a secular meeting uh, in Connecticut, but it's in the North, it's in the Northeast part of the state. It's like an hour and a half drive one way. So on a Tuesday night, it's just not practical. Otherwise I would, I would definitely. I met the, I met the guy that um, started that. that go- Did you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He was at, actually, he was at a conference in Hamilton, Ontario. And then uh, a young woman that was going to our meetings in Kansas city, she moved out there and was going and is now going to that group. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Someday I'll, someday I'll get up there, but it's kind of far. Uh, pretty- I hear you. So, yeah, so I, so I did get sober. So I just want to touch on, you know, I, I really use multiple pathways. Certainly AA is at the top of the list, but I'm a person who can't stay sober just with AA. I need a lot, you know, so I really use a lot of things and, you know, I use, um, AA, I use, uh, you know, Dharma recovery. It used to be uh, refuge recovery. It's now called. Yeah, why did they yeah. change the name? I don't know the details, but real briefly, uh, I'll just say there was some issue with the founder, Noel, something or other. There was some kind of an issue. I don't know what happened or who's right or who's wrong. But um, so the group that I use uh, just broke away from okay. uh, refuge. It's basically the exact same thing. They just and Dharma means community, right? I believe it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Buddhist. It's like a Buddhist yeah, type of yeah. structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a friend in KC that. Um, helped start the refuge recovery meeting here. Actually, he didn't start it, but he kind of rescued it because the person who started it left and it was going to die if no one carried it on. And I had him on a podcast and he talked about it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. There is, you know, and again, refuge recovery or Dharma uh, by itself probably wouldn't keep me sober, but in conjunction with other things, um, I, I, I use smart recovery a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. We have local New Haven meetings. The only problem I had was smart. I actually really liked their format. I, it's not well attended here, not not, not well attended, but um, 
I, I got help. Smart is interesting. You know, I actually took the facilitator training for Smart and passed it. Like, gosh, it's been a while now. And so I did it like during the COVID thing. I've never actually been to a physical smart meeting. I've been to the ones online and I like it. I, I like their tools, you know, that they have available. I like the whole um, cognitive behavioral therapy where you kind of think through your, your, your feelings. So you don't just have to re react, you know, from whatever you're feeling, you know, I kind of like that kind of stuff. If you, if you can discipline yourself to really think about it and do it and practice it, I like that. Um, the meetings online, they go for an hour and a half. Yeah, no, smart. Yeah, yeah, smart. Uh, you know, I, I went to one meeting and I, I don't remember. I was struggling with something or other. And um, I, I, I mentioned it and uh, they really helped me. They broke out the facilitators. You know, they broke out a whiteboard or a blackboard or something. And they were showing me all this stuff. And uh, it was quite helpful, actually. Yeah. So, so I've used that and continue to on occasion, not a lot. Um, and yeah, a person I, I've gotten a lot of help from and I know you've had him on uh, is Tommy Rosen. Yeah, uh, yeah. I met Tommy. Um, there's a place in Massachusetts uh, in the Berkshires called Kripalu. It's a, a, a meditation yoga place. And I've gone there, uh, I think, three times now for Tommy does a recovery conference there. So I, I went there two or three times with to meet him and got to know him. And, you know, we're not best friends, but we text each other occasionally. And, um, he's, you know, he's, I got a lot of help from him. He's a good guy. He's so, um, man, he's so charismatic. It's like, you know, he just gets you pumped up. You know, <laughs> I, I really like him a lot. And I, so I talked to him and then I went to, he had like a webinar that he did a while back, a few months ago that I went to, but he, I like him a lot. And I like, I like the idea that he takes a real holistic approach to recovery. You know, he's really focusing on the physical health part. And he also was one of the first people to tell me about sugar being his first drug and how, you know, something that he watches very closely. Yeah. Oh, he's extremely healthy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, I like, like everything you just said, I like him for those same reasons, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've been to his, uh, up to that Kripalu several, several times and two or three times for him. And, you know, I met another person there. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a woman named Nikki Myers and she, she invented or developed this Y12 SR. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It stands for yoga for 12 step recovery. Hmm. So she can, and, and her classes who I've also attended some of these, it, it's uh, usually an hour and 15 minutes. And it, basically it's like 40 minutes of a beginner yoga, oh. you know, something anyone can do. Oh. And then uh, a sharing circle for 40 minutes. And um, hmm. uh, Nikki Myers, her, her thing is the issue is in our tissues. You know, that's her, her little saying. So uh, yeah, you do a, it's, it's kind of like AA. Uh, it's for anyone struggling with anything. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs. Um, well, that sounds interesting. So you do actually, you actually do some actual yoga and then you do a sharing session like after you do the yoga? Normally you do the yoga first. I could go, it goes either way, but yeah, you, you do about 40 minutes of, of gentle yoga, easy, nothing, nothing crazy. Yeah. Then we, we do a sharing circle. You go around the room and you know, you could pass obviously. And uh, yeah, so it's a good thing. And, and she, she works with Tommy Rosen at the recovery conference. She's, she's another facilitator up there. So, you know, I use that stuff. Um, you know, I use exercise, of course, and the diabetes part of it. Yeah. They said, they say diabetes, the diabetic diet is like the most healthy diet you can ever eat. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'm not a fanatical eater. I believe me, I eat ice cream just like everybody else, but um, I, I'm not perfect at it. But um, yeah, I, I eat pretty healthy, reasonably healthy. So, you know, I was going to, I was going to mention too, John, something, you know, when I first got sober, um, you know, cause 
I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone else's uh, recovery, but you know, AA, um, what, what got me listening to your podcast is uh, I get frustrated with AA, you know, quite frankly, and at times, and I try to remind myself, I do remind myself every day. I, I need to be respectful of other people's recovery. What works for them is fine, but um, you know, I have to find my own path and um, definitely identify as a free thinker. And um, so anyways, you know, the meetings here, are always not always, but almost every meeting has something to do with the daily reflections. Uh, book. No, and I, that. I don't like that. But I'm I'm not. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. <laughs> I am with you. My my home group uses it as our topic. You know that. I mean, it's just every it's meeting. It's way too religious. Oh dear God, it's too religious. <laughs> it's way too religious. I, I'm a believer, and it's too religious. <laughs> But, I, you know, I was going to tell a little story about the daily reflections. Okay. When I got out of rehab and I, I checked myself into that sober house, you know, I started a little routine every morning. And I, I would get up. I'm a pretty disciplined person, you know. I, I would get up early every morning. I'd make my bed in the sober house. And I would read the daily reflections and the 24-hour book, you know. And I did this every day. And um, I did a lot of other things. But that was the way I started my day out. You know, I got sober and I stayed sober. So I didn't take it lightly. But so I, I'm reading these books every day and I go through them and I, I'm doing this for like maybe three years, you know, so I've been through the book three times. Today. So one day, one day I said to myself, I hate this book. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand this book. So I was like, you know, um, I guess there's certain people in AA would say, well, you, you, you learn to like it or something. But um, I, I said, why should I do that? You know, to myself, I'm saying, why should I do that? So I looked around and I found a couple other daily readers that related to me better. One of them being the uh, Beyond Belief. Yeah, right? that's a good one. That's good. I, I, that's one of the two I read, that one and another one for men's meditation or something. So I started reading these two. I, I stopped reading the religious ones and I started reading the two new ones that better suited my personality. And you, you know, John, I, I stayed sober. You know, nothing changed. I stayed sober. And I came to believe and realize that it wasn't the words in the book that were keeping me sober. It was the act of doing it, starting my day off reading something on the right, you know, in the right direction. That's that's what was doing it. And the new books, um, you know, I'm, I'm much happier reading those. And, you know, I have to tolerate that daily <laughs> daily reflection book. They just love it. And um, AA loves it. Or maybe they're just, you know, you, you get set in that dog, dogmatic ways and... So when I first got into AA, they didn't, that book, what didn't exist. And we used to read, um, as Bill sees it. And some people would use this little black book that Hazel then put out called 24 hours a day. And that was kind of religious and it always have like a prayer in there. But, um, so then AA came out with, uh, AA world services came out with daily reflections and then everybody started buying it. And then our, the group that I used to go to stopped reading as Bill sees it, which was actually a good book. And, and it was Sec a lot of the readings were very secular, you know, and you, you it was a really good book. But um, anyway, they stopped reading from that and they started reading from Daily Reflections. And I never I never liked it from the beginning. Plus, it does like it goes through a step a month. So if you go to meetings a lot, you have you're, you have to talk about the same damn step every damn meeting for a whole month. <laughs> I'm, I'm so <laughs> but I'll tell you a lot of, a lot of the meetings around here, uh, use it as a topic or at least at the very least read it. At the yeah. Start of the a lot of people, a lot of groups will just read it like as part of their introductory spiel. Yeah. I, I'm also not a fan of the Lord's prayer, you know, and um, I, there's one group I go to. I really like that people are wonderful. It's a great meeting, but they close with the Lord's prayer every day. And, you know, I just want to jump out of my skin. I'm, I'm thinking of all the people 
who, um, you know, are scared away by that. You know, we read that preamble and it says very clearly we are not allied with any denomination or sect. And I don't know if people don't understand what that means or don't care or don't realize it. Um, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it's weird how that whole, how that started. I guess it's just a big a carryover from the early days with Dr. Bob and so forth uh, in Cleveland. But I, I was immediately uncomfortable with it at my first meeting but I was miserable enough with what was going on in my life. And I, I knew I needed to stop drinking that I didn't let, let it keep me away, but it took me a long time for, it took me, well, 25 years or so to realize that I was an atheist. And then, then, then all that stuff really started bothering me a little bit more. Yeah. I just, uh, I also want to mention, you know, like I said, your podcasts have been a great help to me. I don't think I've listened to everyone, but I've certainly listened to a lot of them. And, uh, you know, there's a couple in particular. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, one of your early ones with uh, John L. He wrote the uh, oh, yeah. Free Thinker. Yeah, yeah. I did that with my friend Kevin here in KC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I listened to that one several times. You know, and, it, you know, it prompted me to go out and buy the book. And I absolutely loved it. I was like, wow, I can relate to this book. So, John, if you remember, he got sober in a place called the Perry Street Workshop That's in right. New York. And I'm about 70 miles from the city. I go down there a lot. I'm semi-retired. So I'm right on the train line. I go down to the city for the day quite a bit and uh, to go to a meeting. So after hearing that podcast, I started going to the Perry Street Workshop. I've since told my story there a couple of times, and uh, I've made some friends there that I stay connected with. So, you know, this is how it works. You know, I heard that podcast, and now I'm connected to Perry Street, a legendary place in uh, in the city and um you know that stuff that's how that stuff works the next time i go there i'm going to definitely go to that meeting uh the last time i was in new york which is a while ago now i went to a meeting that i guess doesn't meet anymore but it was really cool and they had they had a desk there that bill w used to sit in um at somewhere uh, it was uh so it was and they had the old original steps it was really con- it was really cool you know there's a lot of history in new york obviously aa history in new york yeah, there is. And a lot of secular meetings, they tell me, but I wanted to try one, but um, they're always at night and I'm usually there during the day. So it just hasn't worked out. And I didn't go to my, the one I went to wasn't secular, but it didn't seem that bad. They didn't do the Lord's prayer. They did the serenity prayer, but they were lovely people. I mean, they were really nice people. I had enjoyed the meeting. So G- generally speaking, the meetings that I attend do not use the Lord's prayer. Other than that one I mentioned, it- it's not common here to use the Lord's prayer. It really isn't. It's, it's usually, uh, it's almost always the serenity prayer. And I actually still use the serenity prayer on occasion. I mean, uh, even though I don't believe I'm praying to anything, I do like the concept of the prayer. We, we used it as a topic recently. And, um, that was kind of like how I shared just kind of what you said. I said, you know, uh, as even if you're an atheist, if, if you just remove the first word, the God, God, the first word is God. If you take that away, it's just a really practical. It is a verse if you want or whatever, but I think it's really, it could be helpful to anybody. This I used it as an affirmation for a while. I think I, I took out, um, I said, I have the serenity rather than like, I'm asking anything to give me serenity. I would just say I have it. And it's just like, for me telling me, okay, I've already got it just kind of get in touch with it, you know, but it's just, it's just the, just the whole concept of, of it is just a good, good way to live one's life. But, um, because I, I got into the program when I was in my twenties and I was in the, I was, you know, it's been like the majority of my life. I've been in this AA thing. So I, that, that prayer has always been a part of my repertoire, I guess. And so it just is a calming thing for me to hear it. 
you know, and to, if I'm ever really agitated, I might, I might say it. There are some hardcore atheists that would probably hit me for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It makes sense. What you're saying makes sense to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like a, something that brings some, it's just a repetitious thing anyway. Is there anything that has surprised you about being sober? I'm not as, I'm not as quite as bored as I thought I was going to be. That That's not to say I don't have moments. You found ways to fill your time. Absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, diabetes takes some time every day of my life. Um, I, I follow an exercise, an exercise program. I go to a meeting in normal times, not in COVID times. You know, if I'm not working, I go to a meeting every day. Um, you know, but I have friends in recovery that we connect with and whether it's a visit or a coffee or just a text message. Um, so, so that stuff has really um, filled up a lot of my day. I, I took advantage of uh, the shutdown. Like I say, I'm semi-retired. So uh, I work about six months a year, typically during the construction season. I'm an inspector on construction projects, but I'm off in the winter. So I, during COVID, I took advantage. They were offering a lot of classes for recovery coaching oh. online. Oh. Yeah. So I took these and uh, they were, I don't know if I'm ever going to be a recovery coach, but even if I'm not, I got so much out of these classes and uh, all about multiple pathways, you know, uh, not just AA, whatever works for you and being aware of all the different things you can use to stay sober and um, ethical training and stuff. So I really got a lot out of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about doing something like that myself after I did the smart training almost for the same reason. I didn't think I was ever going to start a smart meeting or do anything with smart but I thought, I just want to understand it. I just want to know how it works and learn something, you know, from it. And I, maybe I could incorporate some of those tools. So, yeah, I think that's great to do stuff like that. Yeah, this recovery coaching, uh, my therapist actually told me about it, you know, and I procrastinated about taking it. So if, to start out, it's a week-long class, and then they offered it online. And because I was home, they offered some other classes. So I, I was able to get all the credits, classroom credits I need to get certified but it also requires 500 hours of either volunteering or working in the field to, to get state state certified. It, it, it's a big thing to get state certified because then you're billable to an insurance company. So I don't know if I'm going to go that far with it. I, I honestly don't know, but it's a big thing in Connecticut, this recovery coaching, and they have them in hospitals in the emergency room. They also have, we have places where these recovery coaches go to the person's house, like, twice a week or something it's in demand and it, i don't know i guess it's working it's helping yeah yeah i know they have a similar program in missouri um but i, I don't know the details behind, behind it but um yeah it's kind of a it's a it's a good concept it's just you know getting like it's almost like a peer somebody who has kind of been down that road and has some information that could help you and uh i think that you know people might be more likely to relate to to the person you know more rather than some doctor that comes in and you know <laughs> tries to prescribe or whatever yeah right and maybe hasn't been there has yeah hasn't been there doesn't have the exact the, the personal experience which really means so much yeah i think that's yeah you kind of nailed it that's basically what it is and uh, i actually did a little volunteer work at the hospital a few years back meeting with people who were admitted with some kind of a an alcohol or drug issue yeah now they have them um, uh, actually people do it as a job you know and so uh, yeah so you know i got that stuff going i don't know if i'm going to follow through with it as a job and i may i may not but it was still a good experience yeah it helped me help my recovery every every little thing i do i feel helps me you know every, every being on this podcast this this keeps me sober today you know i'm not going to drink today because of this podcast so well your recovery program is very modern that's what um you know 
that's what I'm hearing that people are using now is just multiple sources. Some people like to read recovery memoirs. Some people like to, you know, do different types of um, support groups. Um, a lot of people have online, you know, groups that they attend. And now, of course, with COVID, that's the big thing. Are you, have you been dealing with COVID? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Everybody in my family is okay health-wise. And as far as recovery goes, um, yeah, I started doing the Zoom meetings. I'm, I'm, I'm back to work now. I'm actually working now, and um, I'm outside, and hopefully it's safe. But uh, so my meeting count is down. But when it first started, John, I was doing a couple a day. I'm, you know, I was home. I didn't have much to do. So the Zoom meetings, while, you know, I, I prefer face-to-face meeting, but they really saved my butt. You know, those Zoom meetings, I'm, I'm, those Zoom meetings were really helpful. I, you know, and I know some people didn't like them and I, I get it, but um, hey, listen, it's, we hear about acceptance. People are always talking about acceptance. Well, I, I had to accept the fact that I couldn't go to a face-to-face meeting and I, you know, Zoom was a great second choice, you know, and it, it helped me. Yeah. It's, it sure has a, made a difference with our group. So like, um, so when we, we first, like, I think it was like in March, the middle of March or something where we had to kind of, we had to stop going to our face-to-face meetings and we went online, but not everybody from the group wanted to go to the zoom meetings. So the meetings were a little bit smaller, you know, at first, but they were nice meetings. And I, and I was going at for a lot in the beginning. I'm not so much now, but um, it was always nice to see everybody. And I always, I always felt good at the end of the meeting. And then other people started finding our meeting from other places around the world or whatever. And now they're going to the meetings. And now I think that the, the number, the people in the number of those meetings are increasing a little bit, but the, the people from my group, they're learning so much more now from these people that they're meeting from other groups, you know, and the, um, I know one person in particular, she seems to be really excited now about more excited about the program than ever because of all that she's learned. And she likes to go to the different zoom meetings that she finds too. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we haven't, uh, my, my, my meetings that I normally attend, we, we haven't had uh, too many people that we don't know show up, but we have had peop- people who've moved away, you know, like maybe someone who lived in New Haven and moved to Seattle uh, will show up on a meeting. So, so that's been kind of cool, you know, seeing people that we haven't seen in a while type of thing. Yeah. I try, I guess I follow, follow the modern, you know, more modern. I just try to stay open-minded. I, I gave this analogy to someone once and I said, you know, um, believe me, I, I love and respect AA more than as much as anyone, you know, but you know, think about like if I was diagnosed with uh, say stage four lung cancer, right. And I go to my oncologist and the oncologist says, um, you know, I've got a really small group of people who recovered from stage four lung cancer in 1939. So that's the path I'm going to follow. Right. I'm going to put, that's your path. You know, I, you'd fire the doctor on the spot, right? You'd say, this, this person's crazy. What are they crazy? But you know, if that same doctor said, you know, I, I, I've got a small group of people in 1939 who, uh, followed a certain path and, re- and got a great deal of help with their, with their cancer. So I want to use that in conjunction with everything we've learned since then. You know, I mean, if you do that, um, that makes sense to me instead of just dogmatically, uh, you know, following something that's, uh, you know, really outdated, you know, in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, it was, um, even back when I first looked at the book in 1988, um, I think I've told the story before, but I, when I first got into the program and I heard, I found out there was a book, I really wanted to get my hands on it because I figured that's all I needed is if I just had that book, I could figure this thing out. And I first saw the book at a library and I remember just being kind of disappointed that it was so old. 
So like it was 1988 then. So it was like, like 50 years old. And to me at that time it was old. Now imagine somebody today and there's, they're given this book and it's 80 years old. <laughs> That's old. <laughs> I, it's really old. I mean, so for me, that would have been like, God, like the 1800s or something. I, they'd be giving, giving me some book that was written in the 1800s. <laughs> hey, Thomas Edison. Yeah. So I, it is kind of, I know. It's yeah. funny. We, we think alike. Uh, in but a there are some people who love it. I was actually talking to a person and she just loves the book, you know? So, you know. Different, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. yeah, just don't, just don't shove it down my throat, and don't, and just, and just don't be critical or cross-talking of me if I, you know, if I speak a little. Yeah, bit. if you say, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I had the book. People started using it like as a law book or something. You know, it's like you are not, you, you are not following the book like it says here. <laughs> I know it's not funny, but it's funny. No, it is kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. yeah so. But well, it's cool that you came on. I, I appreciate that. Uh, oh, I am so grateful for this. I'm telling you, I feel like a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. And uh, like I said, I you know, like I found that Perry Street workshop through you know through your podcast, and uh, I, I found enjoyment listening to him. I remember one in particular that really had me laughing. It was I think the fellow's name was Chris, but he was from Canada. He was like the son of a minister, and he had moved to Japan. Oh, he was yeah. living in Japan. Yeah, yeah. For like 25 years, he was in Japan. He, I found him so funny. Telling, he was telling the stories about, you know, the Japanese meetings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a very interesting guy, and I still am in touch with him on uh, on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, he, he was a pretty interesting guy. It was it was fun to learn about what 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 in Japan. I remember him telling me that they got all the Back to Basics people went to Japan. And I guess they came in from California. So they had a lot of really conservative, um, hardcore, big book thumping meetings in Japan. And uh, that kind of surprised me. I didn't think I wasn't expecting that's that. Sho- that. That's shocking to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember him saying they had when he first got there, they uh, uh, like a Coke machine. They had beer machines. Right. Know, right. Could, right. Money, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yank out your Budweiser from the soda machine. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. I know. That's all I needed. Thank God we didn't have that. Yeah. Well, I love doing it. And, uh, all, all the people that I've talked to over the years, their stories are still in my head. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. So I'm going to go ahead and play the music to get us on out of here. Thank you for listening. This is another episode of AA Beyond Belief. And, uh, thank you, Mark. It's been great talking to you. So if you'd like to support our site and podcast, you can do that in a couple of ways. Uh, become a patron, patron, Visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief, or you can go to our website, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the donate button, or paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. But of course, I know right now, a lot of people don't have money, so it is totally okay if you don't give anything. We're going to be okay anyway. So you all, just thank you for listening. We'll be back again real soon. Thank you.